Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello, you're listening to Brainwaves on 3CR. That's 8.55am, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. This Friday is World Bipolar Day and to acknowledge it, we are going to be talking to Sue Anderson today on the show. So take it away, guys. Um, so Sue, um, could you introduce the listeners um, first off to uh, bipolar as you um, experienced it and your symptoms of um, the illness? Yes, certainly. And thank you for asking it in that manner. Bipolar, as indeed all mental uh, ill health is a very personal experience, so I don't feel quite qualified to kind of list, you know, the symptoms as they may apply to everybody, or indeed as they may be clinically um, explained. How I experienced that was something that only really became thoroughly clear in retrospect many, many years later. I can see that there were times when I was very. Uh, I would have very elevated moods and very, very high energy levels and distorted thinking. Like I was positive at one stage I was going to win the lottery. There's no doubt about that. Another stage I thought I was going to be you know, married to a very high-class celebrity. There were other times when I would crash into massive clinical depression. Um, but because I'm very affected seasonally, I would kind of come and go through these phases in such a manner that, to be honest, it didn't really, really lead to a crescendo until I was in my mid to late 30s and I was able to get by to that point. Um, you've experienced bipolar disorder for 20 years before receiving diagnosis. How did you manage for all those years without knowing what was actually causing the symptoms? It's just who I was. I I didn't know how to query any other way of being. You know, again, th- there were times when everything was great in life and there were times when everything wasn't great in life. And I had no point of reference to know, to be honest, that that was how anybody else had a different, had a different life to me whatsoever. Um, so I didn't know what was going on and I just lived the life that I always knew how to live. Well, thanks very much for your feedback there, Sue. It's really interesting for us to know some of the ins and outs of bipolar disorder so far. The next thing we're wondering is how did you react emotionally when you received uh, a diagnosis? Well, I had a really bad experience uh, when I was 35. When I uh, turned 36, I was actually in St. Vincent's Hospital at that point. So I really had hit rock bottom. I was um, 
actually undergoing a unfair dismissal case and in incredible, incredible um, levels of stress. And that had effect on me of just becoming extraordinarily unwell and I was taken off to hospital. So it was when I was in hospital that I was diagnosed and to be entirely honest, I couldn't react any anyway at all. I was um, medicated to a huge extent to bring me down from the emotional um, high that I was experiencing at that point. Um, and my ability to have any reaction was just non-existent. So <laughs> my honest answer to that was, you know, to how I reacted emotionally, I, I had no reaction because I went into a clinical depression and a lump of clay would have had more emotion going on than what I did at that point. Mm. Wow, that's really fascinating. Thank you for that, for your brutal honesty. Um, in terms of community awareness, I think um, we've seen depression and anxiety um, gain more widespread understanding. Um, how do you feel society's understanding of bipolar disorder is travelling? Is it Has it progressed? Or, I mean, there's still obviously quite a way to go. I think I think you're right. I think anxiety and depression have become quite uh, commonplace. I, I, I don't mean that they're commonplace. What I meant by that is they are widely discussed. And the fact that there is that kind of discussion around anxiety and depression is fabulous. It, you know, it can't be um, too soon and it can't be too much spoken about. In terms of the real nitty-gritty, you know, of perhaps the higher class, or that's not the right way to put it, but schizophrenia or bipolar, but the more heavy-duty, perhaps, mental illness uh, diagnoses, I think there's a long way to go. And I really don't know that there is a rise or dramatic rise whatsoever in awareness of what constitutes bipolar. I still hear that ghastly phrase, manic depression. Um, there are people that still use, you know, oh, they've gone manic or I feel manic um, very, very carelessly. And when those phrases and that language is used carelessly, that indicates to me that there is a very poor level of awareness of what that actually is constituted by bipolar. So I think we have a long way to go. And if we're blowing bubbles for bipolar, I'd suggest this still further. Yeah, I can't believe that event has actually happened. Like that just, I don't even want to comment on it. It's so bad. <laughs> so insensitive. Yeah. Um, so you have recently written a memoir titled One Mind's Manifesto. Um, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, could you just give us an insight of how the book came about and... Um, what led you to becoming an advocate for bipolar awareness? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually doing a public speaking course and the gentleman who was running the course was really adamant that we spend a lot of time on social media. Now, I don't do social media because, you know, like I can't be asked, frankly. So I had to get him on the phone and really get him to back off because it, it was just beyond annoying. And I said to him, I said, look, Trav, I said, you know, you keep telling us to do social media. I said, it's just not going to happen. And I said, it's because I have bipolar, besides the fact, actually, I can't be asked, um, is the fact that, you know, if I'm feeling, you know, 
too low to do it well, I'm actually not going to do it. And if I'm feeling like, yay, I can do it, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. So either way, it's just not going to happen. And he went, oh, um, oh, okay. He said, uh, you like to write, don't you? And I said, oh, yeah, I really do. And he said, well, you know, this is 2 o'clock one afternoon. He said, how quickly can you have me a 1,000 words? I said, oh, lunchtime tomorrow. So Jesus, Sue, we could have done. <laughs> anyway, by 10 a.m. I had, you know, those words to him. And it was a fascinating exercise. I mean, it opens with the phrase, can you imagine realizing you spent your childhood running drugs? Well, I realized I did, and I realized it just then as I wrote those words. And that's what had happened, is when I sat to start those thousand words, I went, shit. That was my childhood. And I realized it as I wrote those words. And I sent him those thousand words. And for a guy who's incredibly difficult to get hold of, the phone rang very soon thereafter. And he said, look, I don't care what else you do. He said, but stop and write this book because you have to. This is your contribution and it has to be made. Thank you. Um, uh, thanks very much for that, Sue. So next up, we're interested um, about another aspect of your story in your text. Um, so you wrote about how your your father had bipolar. So we're wondering how likely does bipolar run in families? Uh, I've, do you know I'm changing my mind over that? I've been at a few conferences and the theories, the academic stance seems to be shifting. I thought that it did indeed run in families and I actually did write that on the back of One Mind's Manifesto was that I had inherited bipolar from my father uh, and he does have bipolar but I don't actually know now that that's the case. It may be indeed as was suggested by somebody at one of these conferences that we have perhaps a predisposition to something that may or may not be triggered by, you know, events that occur in our lives, perhaps like the cancer gene. Who knows? So, you know, I can't unravel the parts of my upbringing to say or to remove perhaps an element of the trauma and say, well, perhaps it was the trauma that kind of, you know, brought about my reactions to other things in life. I I actually can't pull apart those strands to say categorically that bipolar runs in a family um i don't know i don't know how to answer that because my thoughts are changing Mm, fair enough we appreciate you trying to um, battle with it anyway question (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) indeed um, so, so on your blog, you talk about acceptance and self-compassion. Um, just wondering how uh, you use these strategies or others um, to manage your bipolar. Oh, I think I lie about the fact that I'm accepting and self-compassionate. <laughs> I, I think that's complete and utter bollocks, actually. <laughs> I think I give myself an extraordinarily hard time all the time. Um, but I say that, I, well, I truly believe we all need to give that a big miss. So, you know, it's a case of perhaps do as I say and not as I do when I really say stop beating ourselves up, okay? Um, strategies, strategies for managing. You know, it's doing more and more of those things that we like to do. Uh, you know, 
that we know keeps us well, yeah? I, I don't do huge five-day weeks or seven-day weeks. I don't work the hours that I used to, okay? I actually really avoid people that are toxic, you know, I used to go into war with them, and you know, for the you know for the greater good. And now I'll just kind of bide my time and find you know, the right moment to do it. Um, so just be you know be smarter about how I go about things, about the environments that I put myself in, around the people that I put myself in or, or around rather, and just 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 make the path through life more gentle. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any resources that people can go to to find out about more of these strategies? There are. There's lots on um, the SANE website, I think is a really good one. There are lots and lots and lots of international bipolar blogs that have um, strategies around that. Uh, I was reading one today. I think the lady's name is Sarah um, Friedman and... You know, she's written a bipolar diet book. And, you know, I went around and, you know, I bought it. And, frankly, it's just eat well. And, frankly, I tend not to, you know. So, so again, it's one of those things about we actually really do kind of know what to do. And we're actually probably not always really awesome at doing that. Um, But certainly all that information is out there. But I would really, really say get to know yourself. Yeah. yeah, write stuff down and go on an interior journey. Yeah. yeah, because what works for everybody else and what's on this, you know, like somebody else's website is not necessarily going to ring true for you because we each have something that floats our boat. Yeah, yeah, and find that and do more of that thing. Yeah, and this is probably leading on from this. Um, but you speak about the importance on focusing on things in life that bring you happiness and things that you love. Mm. Um, what are some of those things for you and how do they help manage these symptoms? I love plants. absolutely <laughs> adore plants. You know, I, I will talk to plants. Um, and they give me love back. You know, you see the flowers and the greenery and just the beauty and the oxygen too that they share, you know, when you've got your head in a, in a bush and, you know, well, when you're pruning it, not necessarily that you just do it. Um, so plants for me is is one thing. I love art. So I create really funky, quirky places. I'm quite sure other people would walk into it and go, Bleh. but for me it's like, wow, okay, there's a piece of art that a friend made for me and they have meaning and it brings me joy. Yeah. And I love water. Yeah? yeah. So one of the best things I know for releasing stress is to go to an outdoor pool. It's got to be an outdoor pool. Yeah, preferably an outdoor, really go to an outdoor pool. Yeah. Um, and go and jump in the deep end and sit on the bottom and scream. Now, if you're feeling remotely stressed and you do that a few times, you end up laughing because it's a ridiculous thing to do. <laughs> and all of the bubbles come up and they look like crystals as they go past you. Yeah. And then when you see that happen in the sunlight in water, it just becomes incredibly beautiful. Yeah. So... Again, it's ridiculous and it's fun and it's the most intense way of relieving stress and the quickest way that I'm aware of. So do that for sure. That's quite interesting. I've never thought about that. But mm. It sounds like a really good, like, they'll just bring you a lot of relief and just satisfaction of no one can hear you. Yeah, totally. I know. And, and you have <laughs> no a lot of other pool as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely the case. 
Um, so you recently became aware of the link between bipolar and sleep problems, specifically sleep apnea. Can you tell us about your experience with this? Oh, yes. Every counsellor, every doctor, every GP, every psychiatrist, everybody on the planet, when they're talking about mental health, ask about sleep. They ask how you're sleeping. Yeah. Now, I always thought I was sleeping well. I am an absolute sleep Nazi. I will have my eight hours a day, and that's just the way it goes, yeah? Mm-hmm. So recently there was um, a bipolar sleep app, and they wanted people to participate in this bipolar sleep app study. And I said, you know what, there's no point because I get my eight hours, yeah? Well, I went along to an eye doctor and the eye doctor looked in my eye and he asked me if I snored and I went, yeah, totally, but that is relevant, you know, how? And he said, you have really heavily lidded eyes. He said, you've been rubbing them consistently since you've been in here. He said, I suspect you have sleep apnea and snoring is a symptom of sleep apnea. And I went, really? Like, I had no idea. And so he said, you must go and get tested. This is absolutely critical. Uh, So I did. And I went to my GP who referred me to a sleep doctor. And it transpired after being wired up 16 places with electrodes and down my legs and everywhere. Hideous, hideous experience. (laughs) But it transpired that in every hour, I would stop breathing six times and experience an additional 28 partial breath obstructions. So 34 times an hour, I would gasp, like literally, because snoring is the muscles collapsing on your airways, and, you know, it's an attempt to get oxygen. Um, And I found that instead of my eight hours, I was actually getting, like, none. So I would come awake, I would go back into REM, I'd come awake, I'd go back into REM, and et cetera, et cetera. So where a person or a lady of my age was supposed to have a, a score of in the 20s for deep sleep, which is where all of your mental and physical restoration occurs, my score was 1.6. Now, that leads to micro-sleeping at the wheel. There was lots of questions asked about how I drove, and I went, this is scary. <laughs> <laughs> so it transpired that what I thought um, I slept was completely erroneous. So the questions that are asked about sleep are wrong. Yeah? So how do you sleep? Great. How much do you sleep? Eight hours. Truth. None. Right? What is your quantity of sleep? Nobody's ever asked me. Nobody ever, ever asked, sorry, what my quality of sleep was like. And I couldn't answer that anyway because I didn't know. Right? So last year, middle last year, there was a study release that showed, it was came out of Taiwan, that in a group of sleep apnea people, and it, the, the numbers were huge, it was something like 5,000 people in the sleep apnea group, that there were three times more highly represented with people with bipolar in that than in the general population. So given that sleep deprivation is qualified or qualifies as torture, you know, in the United Nations, regulations, whatever, um, then to not actually sleep means that we exacerbate all anxieties and and depressions and and mental and physical illnesses. So I very much recommend, given how well I feel now that I'm sleeping, 
that anybody who snores goes off and gets tested, your life will change. Um, so in terms of the links between sleep apnea and bipolar, um, what do you think those might be? There is, there's no doubt in my mind that I was super um, affected by stress, yeah, because I had no ability um, to withstand it being completely sleep um, deprived, yeah. And similarly, you know, if I was then sort of escalating and would come down uh, into a depression from that point, then there is a cycle that comes about from that sleep deprivation, yeah? Now, I'm not here to say that really I don't have bipolar, that really I have sleep apnea, but I'd be very, very surprised if there weren't some people, just some people, that were being misdiagnosed. Now, there's controversy, um, with bipolar who really have just sleep apnea because I can see that some of the symptoms would come to mimic each other. Has your sleeping improved? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I, I feel as though I have more ballast in my boat. Yeah, so I have a sleep machine, you know, and it's not sexy, but it, there's, a, there's a moment before sleep when it's kind of like floaty, yeah? yeah, we actually have to kind of like really go into a bit of a meditative space and then I just kind of like float away and I cannot tell you how much better I feel. But, you know, it's going to take a few more months until I get to what I understand like normal is yeah. because I've had no sleep as an adult until this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm enjoying that process. <laughs> so you're getting all the hours in now, yeah. making up for lost time. <laughs> I have, you bet. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> um, so what advice do you have for our listeners who suspect they or someone they know have bipolar? You know, I honestly don't know that I would have been receptive to the conversation prior to wigging out so bad that I ended up in hospital having to have that conversation. Um, I have children, and this is probably the best way into your question, to be honest. I have never been anything but completely uh, upfront and forthright and open with them, yeah? Obviously in a way that has been age-appropriate, so I've never hidden the fact that I take medication, which for me was a very difficult thing to come to terms with, you know, given I spent my childhood running drugs, um, prescription drugs. <laughs> awesome. Um, and so, you know, when they see me having the medication, they were asking, you know, what that, what is that for? And I said, well, sometimes my mind can go too fast and other times maybe too slow. I said, so this medication just kind of makes it go at the right speed, at the right pace. And they go, oh, yeah, sure. That's cool, you know. Now, my eldest son came to the launch of the memoir, my memoir, and um, then would have, he's had conversations with me since, like, how would I know? And I've, quite honestly, I've said, you, you actually probably wouldn't, right? But I'm watching for you, Yeah. And given that he's aware that it's not something that means, you know, like God, death and destruction, but rather something that's livable with, yeah, it's something that we'll be able to, I hope, 
have a conversation about, yeah? Because we don't have the stigma in our house that might come about, or that might stop such conversation being had, yeah? yeah? So it's just finding a way that's into a conversation, I'd suggest that's not um, negative, that's not judgmental, that doesn't have stigma associated with it, because you know what? We're all just... You know, we're all different and quirky and whatever in our own little ways. And that doesn't make anybody wrong and it doesn't make anybody right. Mm. Yeah. Um, could you finally just tell us where we could get our hands on your book? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'd love to tell you that. Um, if you were to go to the website, sueanderson.net, that's just one word, Sue Anderson as one word, that's on.net, there are copies um, that you can purchase from there. And... Yeah, it's been endorsed by Alan Fells. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> and um, Professor Bernadette McSherry. It was launched at Melbourne University. And a lot of it is written in poetic prose. So um, words are my thing, okay? And, yeah, it it has um, some strategies for wellness in there, including the water one. Yeah. I also do take uh, an institution to task on their definition of bipolar because I don't think it's very necessarily nice <laughs> mm. so um but also too i kept a diary i kept a diary as i transitioned from winter into spring and i actually really really recommend running a diagnostic because it's possible to pick very very quickly like when you're feeling like a little bit too whew, happy and a little bit too hmm there's too many clouds yeah so um, those are the things that have made it more than just a memoir and, you know, a manifesto, which is, yeah, what I see is kind of like a, a how to live a life. And mm. uh, with it, the other one thing I would say about this, though, and what it's incredibly important, is that I recognise my ancestral ghosts in this book, yeah? A lot of the crappiness in my childhood came about from the fact that my parents had their own crappiness from their from my grandparents and they were the children of war okay mm. my parents my grandparents were in the middle of it they had no ability to parent because they were shattered so my parents had no guidance in how to parent which made them shit parents you know and i've spent 20 years in counseling to make sure that i try to do a bit better yeah, but until we reconcile where we come from and understand that with empathy, then we really can't go forward. Yeah, thank you so much, Sue, for coming on the show today and sharing a little bit of your story with our listeners. It's been really, really informative and interesting. So thank you. Thank you. It's um, been a, been a blast, been a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you to Sarah, Lucy, and Alana for interviewing today. You can find more of our shows at our website, brainwaves.org.au, and on the 3CR website as well. That's 3cr.org.au slash brainwaves. Um, we'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode. Stay tuned for Renegade Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.